episode of the Singaporean Podcast. But you can call me Chris, and I am your host of this little show. Now, this is your first time tuning in. I really want to extend a very warm welcome to you. If you end up finding the content shared on this podcast useful, please do me a little favor and spread it to your friends and family who you, you might think would find this useful as well. Now, if you're new to what we do here on the show, well, I, I talk about all kinds of things related to Christianity. Uh, I talk about theology. I talk about uh, you know, Singaporean culture. I talk about how we as Christians could relate and get the gospel out there to our nation more effectively and most importantly, more biblically. And in essence, that's really what this show is all about. And it covers a wide variety of topics from yeah, theological topics to apologetics to even more philosophical topics and just all kinds of things that I hope would magnify and glorify the name of Jesus Christ and his gospel. That is really in essence what I hope to do. And now with that, let me just segue into what this episode will be all about because in this episode, I will be starting on a brand new series. Now, what is this series going to be all about? Well, I'm glad you asked because it's going to be super related to, well, the title of my podcast. (laughs) For those of you who have been joining uh, the show for a while now, you might have noticed that I am called The Reformed Singaporean. Now, think about it. Why on earth is this show called The Reform Singaporean? Now, of course, if you have been a, a guest for a while, you would have already know, uh, you would have already known that, well, a big part of my show is to talk about reformed theology, the reformed tradition of the Christian religion. Now, I understand that for some of us, that term might be very foreign. Like, what on earth do- does it mean to be reformed? I thought all Christians are the same. You're telling me there's different kinds of Christians. You're telling me there's different camps of Christians. You're telling me that you have Christians who believe in different things compared to others. Well, the short answer is uh, yes. (laughs) Yes, to some degree, Christians can be different in terms of what they believe about certain doctrines as found in the Bible. You have Christians who might have differing viewpoints when it comes to certain teachings about the Bible. Uh, certain teachings about who God is, about who Jesus is, about, you know, who we are as humans. So you have different Christians uh, in the 21st century, or rather in the whole of church history, who read the same Bible, who read the same scriptures, and yet when it comes to certain doctrines, they come away with very different points. And, well, in today's episode, I would like to give us a little primer, a little introduction as to the Reformed tradition. Now, before I even go on to talk about what Reformed theology or what does it even mean to be a Reformed Christian, let me just paint a little background as to our situation, especially in the nation of Singapore. Now, for those of us uh, who might be listening who are Singaporeans, I hope that you can at least in part agree with my assessment that I'm about to give you. Now, we live in a day and age where you have all kinds of Christians, yes, from all kinds of different denominations, but all, no matter what denomination you come from, I'm afraid there is a certain unifying factor that ties us all together. Okay, not us all, but Christianity in Singapore at large, this is what ties it all together that Christianity has become a very simplified, a very superficial, a very watered-down, 
kind of Christianity. And what I mean by that is, a lot of our Christian roots in Singapore, well, we could attribute it to the Billy Graham Crusades. Okay? Now, the influence of this man called Billy Graham, of course, he has many, uh, he is known for influencing a large part of our modern evangelical movement. Right, modern day evangelical Christianity, a lot of its influence and tradition has come from this evangelist called Billy Graham, who, well, as a matter of fact, I would not say he had the most biblical theology. <laughs> he didn't have the most biblical view of salvation. Okay, if anything, he had a very simplified, superficial, s- surface level kind of view of salvation. Now, if you attended his crusades or if you know about his crusades, you will know that a big part of what he did in his ministry was to speak to filled up stadiums, filled up crowds, teach them about this guy called Jesus and how he died for your sins. And all you have to do is, you know, if you feel God convicting you, you come up to the front of the stage, you come up to the front of the stadium and you repeat a prayer with me. And this is what he called, and what is now popularly known as, the sinner's prayer. You ask any Christian in Singapore whether they know what the sinner's prayer is, undoubtedly, they would know what it is. Basically, it's just repeating a prayer. You know, so, so it's like, Jesus died for your sins. If you believe in him, you have eternal life. Now, if you want to have eternal life, come up and repeat this prayer with me. If anything, that was a huge part of Billy Graham's ministry. And that was the, uh, the, the cause of the explosion of the Christian evangelical movement in Singapore. Now, is there good that came out of this movement? Definitely. I mean, God can use whatever he wants to further his purposes. But that is not to say that the, the means in and of them, themselves, sometimes God uses this, the means, these, these kinds of ways, despite their bad biblical theology. <laughs> so God can use a bent stick to strike a straight blow. Don't get me wrong. But that doesn't change the fact that the stick itself is still bent. A lot of the methods that uh, Billy Graham's ministry and other ministries like it utilize were very unbiblical approaches to evangelism. They were very unbiblical approaches to calling a person to repentance and faith in Christ alone. Right, so with this kind of background, that brought forth a kind of uh, that kind, a kind of Christian environment that focused a lot on this kind of Christian unity that downplayed theology, that downplayed knowing God deeply in His Word and focused rather on a faith that is just, you know, me and my Bible. You know, I just need to believe certain truths about God and the Gospel and that's all I need to know for the whole of my Christian life. Think about it. Okay, think about it. To most Christians in Singapore, no matter which churches they go to, regardless of denomination, you know, they, they believe that all they need to do as Christians is to repeat the sinner's prayer at one point in their life, 
believe some things about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the gospel in terms of faith and you know believing in what Jesus has done. And that's all. That's all I need to think about. That's all I never ever need to believe about Christianity. And I'm, you know, my eternal route is set. My course is set for good. That's it. You know, I, I have eternal life. Hip hip hooray. And I just go out my merry way and do my own thing. Right? Maybe I, I go to church on Sundays, get a little bit of spirituality, hear a little pep talk with a few Bible verses sprinkled on top of it, and I'm good to go for the rest of my life. That is, in essence, the Christian life for me. Now, if you think I'm overgeneralizing, if you think I'm really painting a broad brush, trust me and just ask. Go and just examine for yourself the, the state of Christianity the culture of Christianity as a whole in Singapore in general, you will find that really most Christians, most church-going people who say that they love God and the Bible, in essence, in a nutshell, this is really all there is to the Christian life for them. They don't see any real importance of knowing God deeply, they don't see any relevance or any importance to know the Bible well for themselves. To them, it's just all about going to church and listening to what their pastor has to say. To them, all they know about Christianity is dependent on their pastor. Right? And, and most of the times, they are, these so-called pastors are just giving pep talks with Bible verses sprinkled on top. So what you get is, with all that background that I painted for us, with all these years, spanning generations, now, that leads us to where we are today. In 2021, what is the state of Christianity in Singapore? And my friends, you go around, and all I see is so much superficial Christianity with little to no knowledge about anything his, about historic Christian faith or doctrine. Nothing, no knowledge about church history, no knowledge about the, the tenets of the gospel in detail. Like you just ask them, what is the gospel? And they'll just say, Jesus died for my sins. And when, when you ask them about what, what does that mean? You know, what does it mean for Jesus to actually die on, on the cross? What does it mean for Jesus to actually take upon the wrath of God on himself? What does it actually mean that Jesus' righteousness is exchanged for our sinfulness? And, and in, by placing our faith in Him, we get His imputed righteousness and He gets our imputed sinfulness. You know, uh, talking about God's predestinating work from before the foundation of the world to choose a totally depraved people for Himself, right? And that, you know, God promises His saints that they will be sanctified in truth, they'll be unified in Christ, through the knowledge of Him. All these things, all these things about the gospel, the, the, the tenets of the gospel, just simple Christian doctrine. Actually, uh, the reality is a lot of Christians cannot even explain them. Right? And most, they will just give us some surface level tenets of the gospel and that, that's all there is to their doctrine. Really, I, I really hope you can agree with me that, that this, that whatever I've said, does not sound just like some mere you know, uh, opinion of mine, but my friends, I'm afraid that that is actually the reality of the state of Christianity in Singapore. 
Now, how is this relevant? My friends, it, it pains me, especially when I know of people who used to be passionate about Jesus, but later on in their life, I know of a few people already, and I expect to come across more of them in the future. That at one point of time, they might have seemed like they were super passionate for Jesus, but now, now they've left the faith. They've since left the faith. Why? Because when they go into the world, you know, whether it be while serving in the army, going to the workforce, they are, they are faced by all kinds of, of objections to Christianity. Right? They're faced by the, the ways of the world, the teachings of the world, and they do not know how to respond. And maybe when they go back to their church and ask their leaders about you know, answers to tough questions, a lot of the times they get just the answer of, you know, just have faith. Just have faith, lol. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, you know, some of these questions like, oh, why, why, why can a sovereign good God allow evil? Or how can science be compatible with God? These are questions that we just can't have the answers. So we just have faith, lol. That's the way Singaporeans talk. You know, just have faith, lol. Or just read your Bible more, lol. Right? Think about it. People who are struggling in their faith, people who are struggling with questions, objections to Christianity, and this is the kind of answers they get from their leaders, it's no wonder we are, we are seeing such a big fallout, a big falling away, a big apostasy from the church. When you have Christians that have little to no foundation, is it really any surprise that they fall away and go after other gods or go fall into secularism or fall into atheism or fall into just pure paganism? They will settle for the anything that answers their questions better than what Christianity might seem to offer them. And my friends, the kind of Christianity that a lot of Christians have is not a Christianity that can provide the answers. Think about it. So now, my friends, this is the situation we live in in Singapore. And that is why I think this series that I'm going to start on is so vitally important for us to grasp. So my friends, what does it mean then for a Christian to know his stuff? How should a Christian relate to, you know, their relationship with God in the area of knowing God? Right, think about it. Actually, if one tries to logically think about it, if a Christian claims to love God, if a Christian claims to love Jesus, isn't it naturally the case? Shouldn't it be naturally the case that the Christian who loves God would want to know God? If I claim to love my wife, shouldn't I endeavor tirelessly to know her as well as I can? To know her likes, to know her dislikes, to know how I can better uh, relate to her, to know how I can better please her and love her and etc. And similarly, if I claim to know God, but do not endeavor to, to or if I, sorry, if I claim to love God, but I do not endeavor to know Him, I mean, that simply shows that I do not really love God. Right? And I think, 
with all that history of evangelicalism in Singapore that I just described, that has also led to a modern-day ignorance of the historicity of the Christian faith. Because, my friends, the Christian faith is not just a 21st century um, you know, novelty. It is not a modern-day invention. Believe it or not, Christianity has existed long before you and I even came into existence. <laughs> that might be hard to believe for a lot of Christians today. Because, you know, you, you look around at a lot of churches, it's just smoke machines and flashing lights and sick guitar riffs. But you ask them about, you know, were churches even doing this last time? What were churches doing before even all these musical instruments were invented? And they'll be like, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah, huh? You're right. So what were they doing before flashing lights were invented? <laughs> were, you know, was church only invented in the 21st century? And of course the answer is no. Right? Christianity has been go ongoing. At least the church that Jesus Christ established has been around for at least 2,000 years. And it would do us much good, my dear friends, my dear listeners, to know the historicity of our faith. Because all the tough questions that you and I think about as Christians, all the objections that the world throws at us, have been thrown at Christians who came before us. There are actually so many battles that if we look at history, so many battles have already been fought. So many questions have already been answered. So many brilliant Christians have already studied their Bibles well enough to provide good, robust biblical answers to a lot of tough questions that we still get today. My friends, a lot of the problems that Christian, uh, Christianity faces today are really not new. They just take different forms as we look throughout history. A lot, at a very base level, a lot of these problems have not changed. Now, with all that in mind, my friends, with this series, I want to argue, or rather, I want to share with you guys the beauty of the Reformed tradition. Now, Reformed theology or Reformed Christians are Christians who hold to Reformed theology, Reformed doctrine. Now, to put that as simply as I can, right, just very quick history. I don't mean to bore us with history, but just for the sake of establishing foundations, necessary foundations, the Reformation, which happened in October 31st, 1517 by Martin Luther, Right, the whole purpose, original purpose of the Reformation was to turn the church back to what it should be. It, it was never meant to be a new movement. It was never meant to be a new addition to the Christian faith. No, it was the, the very word in, it, in and of itself, reform. Right? Because at that point of time, the church has really swerved into pagan idolatry, aka the Roman Catholic Church. And Martin Luther was simply fighting for the church to go back to be reformed to the word of God, not to the traditions of men, not to pagan practices, not to mindless rituals, but to what does God say in his word. And that alone should be what governs all of the Christian life. That is simply what the Reformation was supposed to be. So with that in mind, okay, uh, 
that is really what reformed Christians are all about at the very base level. We are Christians who care deeply, who are extremely passionate about the word of God. So to some degree, all Christians, all professing Christians should be reformed Christians. Christians who love the word of God, who seek to conform their lives to the word of God, who seek to hold to ev- hold everything to the word of God, to hold all their beliefs, to hold all their traditions, to hold all their presuppositions or assumptions, everything, all their doctrine, all their worldviews, all their theology, to be consistent with what the Bible says. Now, on the surface, that sounds quite reasonable, right? I mean, any Christian should want to endeavor to be like that. Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, that's uh, the reform tradition okay, comes from, well, we could say the, the historic Presbyterian tradition. Now, of course, the definition of reform, right, how different people today, even today, define the word reform, it may differ from person to person, but for the sake of making things simpler, let me just summarize it in three ways, okay? How you define the term reform, what does it mean to be a reformed Christian, can be summarized in three categories, and I'll be expounding on at least two of those categories in more detail in, f- in future episodes. For now, I'll be talking about a more summarized version of these things, and I'll, maybe I'll elaborate a little bit more on one of those categories. Now, what does it mean to be reformed? Being reformed simply means to be, just remember, three Cs. Okay, three Cs. Being reformed means to be conf- uh, confessional, covenantal, and Calvinistic. Let me say that again. To be reformed is to be covenantal, confessional, and Calvinistic. Now, the, the order of that is not entirely important. Just remember those three words that start with a C. Right? Now, to be confessional, very quickly to summarize it, it means to acknowledge that, yes, actually, in church history, in reformed tradition, right, we have many Christians who have studied the Bible extensively and intensively and you no know, there was a group of these christians who came together and sat down to formulate a whole system of doctrines now confession being confessional is to acknowledge that yes there are confessions of the faith now if this is new to you just know maybe you've heard of the westminster confession of faith for example right when it comes to for example the presbyterian uh, tradition, right? The Presbyterian denomination, right? By right and traditionally, they ought to uphold and follow these confessions, right? The Westminster Standards, which comprises of the Westminster Confession of Faith, the 1646 or 1647 version, right? So Westminster Confession of Faith, as well as the Westminster Shorter Catechism and the Westminster Larger Catechism. Now, maybe after this episode, if you're interested to find out more, you can always do a quick Google search. There are many free resources out there that can help you more with regards to these three documents of faith. But in essence, they are summaries, they are systems of doctrine, which talks about a lot of different things from the Bible. So, so for example, what does the Bible say about the Bible? (laughs) That's found in the Confessions. What does the Bible say about the Trinity? Right. Who is God? Who is man? How are we saved? 
What is the doctrine of election? What is the doctrine of perseverance? What is the doctrine of sin? And, and a lot of other things, right? Uh, these confessions very helpfully lay it down in understandable, digestible summaries that come along with their scriptural proofs, their scriptural evidence for you to flip to and to read yourself uh, to see whether these things are so. Okay, uh, of course, this is not an episode to go through in detail all the Presbyterian doctrines, even though I, I myself, I am a Presbyterian. Uh, of course, uh, to, if I were to use the term reform in a more inclusive fashion, right, being confessional could also mean to be a reformed Baptist. Now, you might have heard of that denomination as well. You might know people who are reformed Baptists, or maybe you yourself who are listening, you might call yourself a reformed Baptist, which is fine. Right? I, I, I personally would define those people as reformed as well. So they too would subscribe to a historic confession of faith. And their version is the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is a great document as well, especially if you're a Reformed Baptist. But regardless, if you're a person who does not know, know anything about Reformed theology and you would like to know more, you could search up any of these documents. That's fine. And I think that will give you a, a good primer, a good introduction to what Reformed theology is, at least what they believe about all these different systems of doctrine. Right. So that's the confessional aspect of it too. To know what you believe in. Being confessional simply means to know exactly what you believe in. And I think all Christians should endeavor to be like that. If someone were to ask you what do you believe about sin, you should be able to outright give an answer with conviction, with firmness, with authority, because you know all your convictions are based on the Bible and that should give you all the conviction that you would ever need. Right. Uh, as I've said in earlier episodes, for example, in my episode called What is Theology? Right, I talked about how everyone has a confession. Whether you acknowledge it or not, everyone has a confession. The only difference between your normal uh, modern-day evangelical Christian and, for example, a Reformed Christian is that the evangel evangelical Christian would try to deny that they have any confession of faith or they would try to deny that they subscribe to any creed of faith. Maybe they might say something along the lines of, no, I have no creed but Christ, even though that in and of itself is a creed. They would have a system of doctrine in themselves. If you ask them what they believe about sin, what they believe about election, what they believe about man, about the Trinity, they would have their own belief system, but they might not really be able to explain it to you. <laughs> they might not really know how to dig it out of them. But they do have an understanding of it. The only question is, is it a bad understanding, unbiblical understanding, or is it a proper understanding? <laughs> but regardless, they do have a confession of faith. Just that whether they, are they really familiar with it? Can they articulate it? And if they do, is it unbiblical? So compare all of these to, for example, the Reformed Christian, who, when, when confronted with any of these questions, they can say that, very easily, that I follow what is stated in the Westminster Confession of Faith. And they can easily flip to the, the article that talks about sin, if the question is about sin, and they can just explain it from there. Easy, concise, biblical, with references. It's wonderful. <laughs> and it gives you so much more foundation. It makes you 
have such a more firm conviction that when you are attacked, you are actually able to stand your ground and articulate what you believe. So my, my, my dear Christian, my dear friends, know what you believe and why you believe them. And how can you uh, know what you believe and why you believe them? Read and study and understand the confessions of the faith. Okay? Of course, a lot more can be said about this, uh, but I'll be talking about confessions more in a future episode. So for now, let me move on to the next part. What does it mean to be reformed? Part of what it means to be reformed is to be covenantal. Now again, I'll be talking more about what it means to be covenantal in a future episode. Right? Uh, so stay tuned for that. But for now, it means this. Being covenantal simply means to have a robust biblical theology. Now, that might sound very fancy on one hand, but what it simply means is this. To be covenantal means to have a robust understanding of the overall framework of the whole Bible. Now, in essence, that also means to know what is the whole story of the Bible about. From Genesis to Revelation, what is God's plan? What is God's scheme? What has God done in revealing himself in the word and revealing himself through Jesus Christ, through the person and work of Christ in the gospel to you know, redeem all of creation, to restore all of creation from the curse of the fall. Knowing you know, these things, knowing the grand overarching narrative of redemption as as, as uh, reviewed in the whole Bible, that is in essence your biblical theology. Now, in light of that, what it means to be covenantal is to also acknowledge a certain framework as to how we understand all of Scripture because there's a certain framework about the Bible that's very popular in today's Christian circles as well. The typical evangelical Christian would uh, typically subscribe to this system called dispensationalism. Now again, that's just a fancy term to describe, well, <laughs> a certain way that people read their Bibles. A, a, a certain way that people understand God's plan for, well, the whole universe, all of creation. Well, we'll, we'll talk more about dispensationalism in the future episode, but for now, what is covenantal theology? Covenant uh, being covenantal is to acknowledge that God in the Bible reveals himself and works through covenants. So God has a fixed way God of, of doing things. God has one way of doing things, and that is working through covenants. So for example, uh, before the foundation of the world, God decreed to save a people for himself. So God... Uh, in the Trinity, among the persons in the Godhead, before the foundation of the world, before creation itself, they already made a covenant with one another that they are going to redeem a people for themselves, for their own glory. That is what we uh, theologians call the covenant of redemption. Another ex example of a covenant is the covenant made with Adam, right? For example, don't eat of this fruit or you'll surely die. But if you, if you don't eat of this fruit, you are promised eternal life. You are promised you know, to walk in the Garden of Eden, perfect fellowship with God for all time, right? That is what we call the covenant of works. And then later on, we have what we call the Abrahamic covenant, where God promises to Abraham that through you, all the, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. You have the Mosaic Covenant, and then you have the, uh, sorry, you, before that, you also have the Noahic Covenant, where God makes a covenant with Noah, and then later on, God makes a covenant with Moses, God makes a covenant with King David, and then we also have the New Covenant that is brought about, inaugurated, or brought about in Christ by His perfect atoning work on the cross, uh, uh, which also was brought about through Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit descended upon all the believers, Right, and, and the covenant that we live now under is also called the new covenant. Uh, but yeah, there's so much that could be said about that. There's so much that could be said about that. That actually, all, in all these covenants, there is one overarching covenant that God has always been working under from start to finish. And that is what we call the covenant of grace. That all along, from Genesis to Revelation, God is a covenant-keeping God. And, we, and God promises to his people that they are under a covenant of grace. Now, please um, bear with these terms for now, especially if you're not familiar with them. I'll be elaborating and discussing more about them in detail in a future episode that I promise will be com coming very soon. Okay, uh, But for now, just remember that, that actually to be a Reformed Christian is to also subscribe to covenant theology. Okay, if you want to know what covenant theology is, there's definitely a lot of good resources out there on YouTube. R.C. Sproul from Ligonier Ministries has a lot of great sermons about that. There's a lot of great material for free about covenant theology. Okay, now lastly, uh, or rather thirdly, okay, in my simple, simplified definition of what it means to be reformed is to be Calvinistic. Yeah, Calvinistic. Now, uh, there's a definition of Calvinism that is very popular today. That, you know, what when a person calls themselves a Calvinist, it really just means that they subscribe to what we call the five points of Calvinism. Now, if you want to find out more about what the five points of Calvinism is all about, please tune in to my Calvinism series, my Tulip series uh, that I've already covered on this podcast. I think it's a total of seven episodes where I go through just an introduction to Tulip, an introduction to Calvinism, or an introduction to the doctrines of grace, the five points of Calvinism. Right? So... Uh, there is a common understanding today with regards to the definition of Calvinism, which just simply means that if a person calls themselves a Calvinist, it just shows that they subscribe to the five points of Calvinism. Now, while on one hand, that definition is valid, that definition is true, that part of what it means to be a Calvinist is to affirm the five points of Tulip, which, well, it really only covers the doctrines such as predestination, it covers the doctrines of salvation, it talks about God's sovereignty in salvation, it talks about, uh, yes, a lot about God's sovereignty in and of itself as well. But my friends, um, what it, part of what it really means to be reformed is to actually, is more than that, it's more than just affirming tulip. If you affirm tulip, that's great, that's wonderful. Um, I, I really hope that that means you have such a greater appreciation of God's grace and such a greater awareness of your own sin. Right and also uh, a, a greater appreciation of God's sovereignty and control over this entire universe, entire over his whole creation. But my friends, there's so much more work to be done, actually. Uh, if one is to endeavor to know all the deep things of God as revealed in his word, there's actually so much more to be studied. There's so much great you know, resources that can be found from the people that came before us, the great reformers, such as, well, John Calvin himself, 
right? Such as, for example, in his book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, it's such a huge volume of so much of John Calvin's works, which really serve to bring us to a greater appreciation of how God reveals himself in the Bible, how God re- reveals himself as a whole, and just getting us to think harder, to think deeper about just who God is and everything about God. Right, and, and if, you, if you just go to, you know, for example, reading the Puritans and looking at their prayer life, you, you, you just see how much doctrine shapes the way that they pray. It's really amazing, and there's so much that we can learn from. And there's so much other doctrines out there, such as baptism, um, such as eschatology, such as the other implications of covenant theology. There's so many other doctrines out there, other than soteriology, or the doctrine of salvation, that you know, the Reformed tradition has to offer. It, it is really uh, an all-encompassing theology of life, not just of salvation, though that is definitely very good. But my friends, for those of y'all who think that being a Calvinist just means to affirm the five points of Calvinism or Tulip, my friend, there's just so much more that you can discover. There's so much more treasures to uncover. <laughs> and my, my advice is just to read, read more, read more theologians, meet, read more of the reformers, you know, John Calvin, Herman Bavinck, uh, or even modern day scholars like James White or uh, R.C. Sproul, or Greg Bonson, you know, Joseph Boots. Uh, there's so many names I can, I can mention, but yeah, if you need more resources, please feel free to DM me on Instagram, and I'll be glad to give you more resources on these things. But to be a Calvinist, in a more deeper, holistic sense, is to, well, to subscribe, yes, to the Westminster Standards, the uh, Westminster Confessions of Faith, to know John Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, to know deeply about the Reformed tradition as espoused by people like the Puritans, the early Reformers, John Knox, um, even Zwingli, John Calvin, and yeah, B.B. Warfield, Jonathan Edwards, John Owen. <laughs> ah, the, the list can just go on so, so, so much. <laughs> but my friends, I hope you know that how deeply uh, really the Christian Reformed tradition goes. How much scholarship, how much study, how much, really, so much knowledge that, that can be gained from knowing your historic roots as a Christian. Now, I, I hope that from whatever I said, even if you don't get a lot of it for now, I hope you can understand that there's so much knowledge, there's so much work to be done. There's so much studying to be done as a Christian. For people who say that the Christian faith is just all about faith, blind faith, right, a leap into the dark, right, I hope you know how ridiculous, how absurd, and just how false that notion is. Christianity is nothing to do with blind faith. There's so much we can know about our faith. There's so much we can know about what we believe and why we believe. <laughs> and there's, there's a reason why the most brilliant people in history, a lot of them, most of them, come from a Christian foundation. A lot of education that we enjoy today, a lot of science that we enjoy today, are really firstly because of Christians who came along and wanted to deepen their study of the world. That's a fact. 
a lot of the, of the most advances in society are thanks to Christians. You don't get this kind of thing from secularists. You don't get this kind of thing from people who just believe that our universe is just an accident, subject to chance. <laughs> no, my friends, being a Christian is really being someone who knows their stuff. Being a Christian is someone who really knows what they believe and why they believe it. So my friends, in essence, in essence, I hope you know why the Reformed tradition is such a beauty, is really such a gift to the church, and why I think more and more Christians today should endeavor to study it. Because all this knowledge, all this theology is not some kind of ivory tower kind of thing. It's not just for the scholars. It's not just for the pastors. My friends, no, it's for every single Christian to endeavor to study. Because my friends, as Jonathan Edwards once said, and I, all I can say is amen and amen, is that all theology is application and all application is theology. So whatever mindset you might have that theology is not practical, please get rid of that false, incredibly false notion. Because everything you know about God will affect the way that you live. Everything you know about the Bible and everything you know about your Christian faith will transform the way you look at the world, will transform your life decisions, will transform the way you view evangelism, will transform the way you view God's plans for this world, and everything. How you plan for your family, how you plan for your finances, how you plan for your business, everything will be determined by what you know about God, what you know about theology, what you know about the Bible. So get all that false doctrine, all that false notions about theology being unpractical out of your head. That is a lie that has come from our modern evangelical Christianity that only focuses on the superficialness of the faith, or rather the superficialness of what they have been brought up with, a, a Christianity that really has no roots, no foundation, that's only built on sinking sand. What do they know, really? What right do they have to inform you of what you should know or what you should not know about your faith? When they themselves are a movement that really does not know a whole lot about their own faith. In fact, I don't mean, I don't mean to talk down on them for the sake of talking down on them because in fact, it is such a tragedy <laughs> given where we are today as a church, as a whole. We are not bothered to know about God. We are not bothered to know about the deep things of scripture. We are not bothered to know about, to know more about the clear objective revelation that God has given us in his word. We are not making use of the privilege that we have in the Bible, to even have the Bible. To, to, we're not really understanding the privilege that God has condescended to speak our language, to reveal himself to us in a way that we can understand him. That we do not need to reach into the dark to know him. That we do not need to seek out so-called more spiritual people to know about him. Because, my friends, he has revealed everything about himself in his word. Everything that we need to know about him. Only that we study it. Only that we embrace the beauty of His Word. Only that we endeavor to, to study and to dig out the treasures of, of His Word and, do, and from the people who have come before us, 
who have also dug out the treasures of his word. So my friends, <laughs> please, it, I, I really hope that everything I've said in this episode has stirred maybe a renewed passion in you or maybe, uh, or maybe stirred a curi- curiosity in you to, to know more about the Reformed tradition, about Reformed theology, what it means to be a Reformed Christian. Again, this does not mean being a so-called better Christian, but no, uh, just being a Christian who, is, who loves the Word and who seeks to conform everything about his life and understanding to the Word. That's as simple as it gets, my friends. Being a Reformed Christian is to be a Christian who loves the Word of God so much that he wants to be consistent in everything, everything that he does. That he wants to conform everything about himself to the Word of God. So I hope, I hope you guys are now excited <laughs> for my future episodes. Uh, I think with regards to Calvinistic doctrine, uh, I will not really talk too much about it. Uh, I think, if anything, uh, with regards to Tulip, I've already covered about it. But in my future episodes, I'll talk more about what it means to be confessional and I'll talk more about what it means to be covenantal. Right? These are things that are very important for us to know more in depth about. And yeah, you can look forward to those episodes. And for now, uh, yeah, that's the end of it. And I hope you enjoyed it. Please, again, if you enjoyed and found this content, the content of this show and episode useful, please do me a favor and share it to those around you. I would greatly appreciate that. So without further ado, Thank you for listening. Take care. To the next episode. God bless.